0: Support for LAist comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years of Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, with over 200 films May 1st through 10th. Info at festival.vcmedia.org.
1: I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at laist.com events. I'm a person who grew up loving, like movies changed my life. They were my respite, my getaway, my quiet place, my happy place. The notion of like you know, not having that terrifies me.
2: Writer and producer, Kenya Barris.
1: It also scares me that, you know, the power that subsequently the streaming platforms suddenly have, their power has just overnight, exponentially, you know, increased.
2: I'm John Horn. Hollywood is fundamentally changing in real time. And for a lot of people, that can be terrifying. There are big questions about the future of film and TV, and there are the very real struggles of tens of thousands who've been out of work for months. But could the shutdown also be an opportunity for a much needed industry reset, a time to fix what's been broken for far too long? And will the protests against systemic racism also reach and change Hollywood? Kenya Barra says he has hope. This is Hollywood, the sequel. Welcome to our new podcast from L.A. Studios. In every episode, we are asking some of the sharpest minds in the entertainment business to look at the impact this terrible year has had on their work and predict how and if it will lead to permanent change when production resumes again. Kenya Barris is perfectly positioned to look at the shifting landscape of Hollywood. He's the creator of the semi autobiographical ABC sitcom Blackish and its two spin offs, Grownish and Mixedish. And after major success in network TV, he made the leap to streaming content, signing a reported $100 million deal at Netflix. His latest series is called Black AF, and it was just renewed for a second season. And then everything stopped.
1: We have dates, but, you know, those dates keep getting pushed, and everyone's kind of just hopeful. We're just hopeful that, you know, one of these dates is going to stick and we're going to actually start back up for production because there's a lot of people who work on stage and set, and that feeds their families. So we're hoping that it actually gets going soon.
2: I reached Kenya Barris at his home, and he was about to get back into his black AF writer's room, virtually, of course, And I asked him about writing comedy at a time like this.
1: A lot of the stuff that I really enjoy writing is actually, you know, kind of social commentary and things that are saying things. And right now, in particular, most of the stuff that I do, it's really hard because if you look up and you have to say, I don't know how to tell this story in an honest and sincere way and not include COVID or not include Trump or not include police brutality and not include sort of just a changing landscape and just a, the world is is turning upside down in front of us you know every other day and how do you not include that but at the same time do you you know it's still escapism and entertainment and so you want to give people something to sort of leave the world it's, it's a very difficult balancing act right now and I kind of feel like we are we're in uncharted territory, so we're we're doing the best we can to sort of figure it out, and, and hopefully, I think there's going to be a, a a lot of late nights. Honestly, John, I think there's going to be a lot of late nights and a lot of sort of like, okay, it was a good table read, but like let's let's take it back to the lab and like let's now how do we figure this out? I think that that's the only way that we can really do the shows and and anything that we're working on justice.
2: If like me, you've been working at home, you start to notice a lot of noises around the neighborhood, especially from your neighbors. And that happened when I was talking to Kenya Barris. By the way, is that your dog I'm hearing? Yes, it's my next-door
1: neighborhood. Let me go.
2: Oh, it's the next-door neighborhood.
1: Every time I try and, like, enjoy my life, (laughs) like, there's, like, a gardener, a helicopter, a... Okay, that's it. So
2: we had to move locations. Then we got down to the premise of Hollywood, the sequel, that this current moment, as frustrating and frightening as it is, could also be an opportunity to identify what needs to change and what can change in the industry.
1: I feel like the biggest thing, not the biggest thing, I think the first thing, if it were me, I would say is that we need to make sure that in front of, behind, in executive levels, at you know corporate level, that we are creating places of, of business and work models that Actually, reflect what the world looks like. You know, I I think that that's, it starts there. You know what I'm saying? I kind of feel like let's make, you know, this, you know, these be sort of like versions of of the world outside of us. And I think oftentimes we look at these in these situations and we're like, this isn't the world that I know. You know what I'm saying? And I think I really applaud Marta Kaufman. She recently talked about, and she almost like was tearful in saying it, like the idea of what friends that she never, the, the lack of diversity on friends. Right? And I know Martin. and she's a sweet lady and she's a genius, but you know, there's no version of whatever part of New York that might be. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, where was where this cafe at? There's not even a Puerto Rican there. But, you know, so I feel like the notion of like remembering that the world needs to reflect um, what the world actually looks like. I think that would be my first, first thing. I think, I think that looking at, at the, the place that we're making people work, You know what I'm saying? The idea that we're making people work inside a situation where they need to feel comfortable. It's work. It's not, you know, it's not the club. It's not, you know, someone's backyard. It's a place that they're going to support themselves. You know what I'm saying? And so I think, you know, if someone's LGBTQ or if they're a woman or if they're black or... Latinx or Asian or whatever the case may be, I feel like people should not have to go to work and, and have moments that they feel uncomfortable and they're just trying to support their family. So I think we need to make sure that we're, you know, especially in entertainment because it has such a lax model to it. Sometimes we forget that this, you know, ultimately people are trying to feed their family and keep roofs over their family's head. So we need to make sure people feel comfortable in the work environment. I also feel like, um, you know, I think that it's time for different stories to be told. And we, you know, and I think that that is really, really, really important. I'm doing a movie on um, the guy who invented the the television show Cops and the notion of how that show perverted and deranged the idea of of what the black community looks like and the perception of policing the black community for generations, you know what I'm saying? I feel like, and we continue to allow it to be played, like... I feel like that was something that I feel like was just unchecked. And I feel like, you know, the unchecked balance of power has to sort of now b- become checked. So that, that's my long-winded answer of, like, I think we have to start shifting the world back to a little bit more of, like, you know, being aware of people outside of the mainstream.
2: But your mention of cops is really important because I think it gets at two things. One is the way that narratives can shape our view of the world. And specifically the way that narratives about a certain group of people can color our view of that situation. I wouldn't say just cops. I would say like the lethal weapon movies, Dirty Harry, these ideas that these rogue police officers who work kind of extrajudicially those are the heroes of those stories, not the people that they're taking advantage of. But that's the way that we start to see the world. And it gets to the bigger point that I think you're talking about is that. These stories matter because they're not just entertainment. Because they really affect the way that we see things, and they start to soak into our subconscious or even our consciousness in ways that we don't really understand until it's almost too late.
1: Right. I think that's I think that's completely right. And I I want to be clear. Like I fucking love lethal weapon. You know what I'm saying? But but I feel like I'm looking for the lane to be widened. You know what I'm saying? We were working on two lane highways, and I feel like the the notion of diversity and the notion of like, is like, you just need to have more than one example or more than one way of looking at, you know, those types of of, of stories. I feel like if there's, you know, more, if, if there's five of those, if there's five different versions of Lethal Weapon, then we have five different ways to start to see. And we're not saying like, this is just the only way of, that, this, that this works or this plays. I think that it's important to let new voices, different voices be heard and let people choose and let people see, that there's not just one way and one thing, one way of looking things becomes that, you know, we can see entertainment, you know, it, it's oftentimes art with the small A, but it also can be can be art with a, a big A. You know, when Ellen got on and said, I'm gay, you know, that was a huge motion forward. When when Sammy Davis kissed, when Archie, Sammy Davis kissed Archie Bunker, it was a moment, you know what I'm saying, like there, you know, I just think that in some aspects things, entertainment can really help push the conversation forward, comedy in particular. So, I think that you know, I'm not trying to get rid of any ideas and say like this idea can't be soon because I think that's also harmful in a way. But I think expanding the notion and expanding the the form of ideas is really important.
2: I'm going to read you a quote: I did something good. I made Juneteenth very famous. It's actually an important event an important time, but nobody had ever heard of it. that guy that's not not you talking about what you did on blackish. That's Donald Trump talking about Juneteenth. but it does bring up a point: how something like Juneteenth can become something that people talk about because they hear about it on Blackish or on Donald Glover's show Atlanta, or now I think you're working on a musical with Pharrell Williams about it. That part of what entertainment can do is not just kind of shape the way that we see the world, but teach us something that we need to be taught.
1: I, absolutely, like I, we did it. We did another episode on Black AF about Juneteenth. It was one of my favorite episodes, and. You know, I got a lot of, you know, stuff for it because people were like, he already did that on Blackish. And I was telling my publicist and my friends, it's like, I'll do it again and I'll tell that show again and I'll I'll tell that episode again and again and again. And I think the reason that I, you know, push back to on that particular thing is like, you know, one, I feel like the concept of blackness is not one series long. You know what I'm saying? It is not understanding what it's like to be African-American at this country or understanding the idea of first generational, you know, success or understanding the things, I feel like it's not one episode or one series or one season long. I feel like it's something that I do feel like repetition is really important. So I think that some of the things being talked about in different ways, said in a different way, are really important because they do think they help to teach and pull back the curtain for people who honestly didn't know and feel like they are um, learning and, and realizing the things that they were kind of ashamed to admit they actually saw on a television, they're like, this gave me the permission to say I didn't know. I think that's a really big part of it, is just giving people the permission to say, I didn't know this before that, I think it really helps. So I think that is one of the great things about entertainment. I didn't, you know, I, I went to go see Hamilton and for the most part, I was like, people were like, you know, talking about the mixed casting of it, right? And then I was like, I, it made me dig in and I, and I went and I saw that Alexander Hamilton was, was of mixed race. And I was like, that was, you know, just, I went and learned so much just from going to see a great play, but it's just, you know, I think that's when entertainment is at its best.
2: Coming up, if the balance of power is shifting from the multiplex to the living room, how badly are we going to miss actually going to the movies?
1: I'm directing, writing and directing the first movie I've, I've You know, I've been offered movies before this. is the first one I took on. It's a really special thing. If I can't see that movie in theaters, I would be really, 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 really bummed out.
2: To stream or not to stream? That is the question, or at least one of the questions...
0: VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org.
2: While he is probably best known for his TV series like Blackish, Kenya Barris also works in film. He co-wrote the popular comedy Girls Trip, and he also has a couple of upcoming features. But who knows when or even how they're going to come out. One of the things that is important about what you do is that you work across a lot of different platforms. And you've worked in network TV, streaming, you wrote or have writing credits on a couple of upcoming movies. Uh... Coming to America, number two, and the Witches, and those are movies that are have planned theatrical releases right now. As we're talking, Warner Brothers has postponed the release of Tenant. Uh, you know, Mulan's going to move as well. So, what do you think about platforms? I mean, you're a parent. Will you take your kids into a movie theater? How do you think that business is going to change?
1: I'm terrified. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I feel like I, you know, if you ask me today, would I go to a the movie theater? No, not today. Um, if you tell me, you know, in eight weeks and they've come up with a, you know, a, a viable sort of protective feature that I can go see a movie and I feel that it makes sense and it's there, maybe. If you tell me, ask me in, in uh, six months and there's a, a vaccine, I might move closer to it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm i a person who grew up loving, like movies changed my life. They were my, you know, my respite, my getaway, my quiet place, my happy place. Uh, me and my second oldest daughter, like that is our thing to do. And it became my thing with my youngest daughter. And, you know, the, the notion of, like you know, not having that terrifies me. It also scares me that, you know, the power that subsequently streaming platforms suddenly have their power has just overnight exponentially you know increased and you know i think that ted and cindy and reed and those guys are people i, I trust and i believe in and i think that we have good leadership but like what if they leave what if they're you know what if well, i don't know i don't know the other streamers as well you know like the the amount of sort of you talked about, it just so this, the amount of, like, visual education that they would be in charge of is staggering. You know, it's staggering.
2: I should say that's Ted Sorrento, Cindy Holland, and Reed Hastings, the three of the most yes. senior executives at Netflix. The other thing that's amazing about Netflix, I talked... About a year ago to an independent filmmaker who made a dozen films and then she made her first movie for Netflix, and they said more people watch this movie on Netflix than saw all of your movies combined in theaters over their complete and total
1: runs i mean it's it's staggering some of those numbers you know you see things were seventy five million households in a four day period of time watch it that's Super Bowl numbers you know those are those are you couldn't the monetary sort of like equivalent to that in a movie theater i mean is was it et or something i feel like it is it's it's unbelievable so i feel like it is and it's gotten now when you have a captive audience and there's no other options you know and and we're seeing i i think the are, are we seeing the last gasp of network television i hope not but we might be you know i feel like what does that where does that leave us so it's it's a Everything is brand new, and we are looking at a time, we're staring it in the face where it's never, it's all microwave speed, how quickly the world is changing in front of us.
2: So let's say we're a year out from this, and let's just say people aren't dying and things have resumed to some sort of normalcy. If you look back at what comes out of all of this, what would give you maybe the most satisfaction, and what would you be most pissed off about if it wasn't actually fixed?
1: I'm directing, writing, and directing directing the first movie. I've, I've you know I've been offered movies before, but this is the first one I took on. It's a really special thing. If I can't see that movie in theaters, I would be really, 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 really bummed out. If that movie could not be because it's a movie that I had that I want to be viewed in theaters, and I think deserves to be seen in theaters. And if it can't be I, a year from now, I'm looking and you know I'll be happy to get it shown anywhere. But I would I feel like you want certain movies you want that movie going experience. You want people to sit down, sit in a seat with popcorn in a dark room with other people, get group laugh, get group emotion, um, pay for a ticket, feel like they're at an event. You want that experience and to not have that, I think would be an amazing bummer. And to not go, you know, see Tenet, which trailer looks like it's, you know, Nolan has done it again and not see, you know, some of my favorite filmmakers movies. To not see a Wes Anderson movie in the movie theater, you know, I, I want to go on, that's one of my alone days, I'll go and see the new Wes Anderson movie. I want to go sit down and veg out for a while and and do it. So that would, if a year from now that's where we're at, I would be most really, really bummed out.
2: And what about other people getting a chance to tell their own stories? Do you th- see that happening, changing? I mean, it's such a fractional number of people who are not white men who get to call the shots.
1: I think that we're definitely going to see that change. I definitely, that right now, I'm even just in Things I'm working on, the things that are being bought, I'm seeing that that's happening. The thing that scares me when we kind of start this talking is that there is no date of production. So if they tell you, you know, Kenya and John's movie is, you know, slated to come out next summer, we know that in order to shoot our movie next summer, we have to we have our movie in their theaters by next summer. We have to start shooting by August 1st. We don't know if we can shoot August first. We don't know if we, if we can shoot September first. We don't know if we can shoot October first. We're seeing how the highest spikes in COVID since COVID started. You know how to, how do insurance companies indemnify studios and to go and, and do this? Like what is the, and are we going to shoot everything socially distanced or on long lens lenses? And people, are, you know, I, I mean, it's a it's a very 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 interesting time. So I, and I don't it's one of the times I don't have the answers. I don't even have a, I have a pitch. I don't have a pitch. I think Tyler Perry's notion of how he did, how he was going to do it was the best in terms of... Like sequestering really
2: everybody, basically.
1: I think that's the best pitch I've heard. I don't know how real it is, but that's the, the best pitch I've heard.
2: Here's my last question. You talked about Friends co-creator Marta Kaufman, and she said, I didn't do enough when it came to diversity. So she's being open and being reflective, and there is some personal accountability and honesty there. But it's one thing to have people kind of questioning you know, their decisions, it's, just, it's another thing to actually hold them to some sort of test or standard. So maybe people might start waking up and realize that they can't continue as they've done in the past. But how do you actually enforce seems like the wrong word,
1: but I don't want to enforce.
2: I, I know, but I don't how wanna... do you make sure that they're not just going to say 10 years down the line, oh, I should have done better and actually do better well, I, now.
1: Here's the thing. I think that's why Marta's Marta, because she would actually say that. I don't think it was her job if that's not the—and this is my true, true belief. If I don't think that's her job if that's not the friends that she wanted to tell. I don't believe it's her job to make that friends. There's two things that should, could happen. People could call her on it and stop watching or, or say something to her that makes her feel like, if I want this show to continue to be successful, I need to sort of change, you know, change it. Or, or the way that I would say, let's not just have friends— Let's have other shows that, you know what I'm saying, that that do have, you know, show different reflective um, images to America. You know, that way that Marta can tell the show she wants to do, but someone else can go do the show that they want to do. But it's so that there's not, it's the the whole thing I've gone back into earlier in our conversation of opening up the lanes. You know what I'm saying? And I kind of feel like if you open up the lanes, it starts to make, you know, what people's creative integrity is become... You know, not feel as threatened and feel like it's you know it, they can do what they want to do, but there's other things that sort of answer the the calling of that. I took a lot of a lot of shit on my show because you know my kids were based upon my real kids, which who were you know their mom is biracial and you know I'm not you know super dark dark, and so they were like, well I'm a colorist, and I was like, I just did this based upon my family, and if there were more shows about black families. I wouldn't have gotten that flack that I got because people want to see themselves reflected. And when they don't, they feel like, well, you're one of our storytellers. Why aren't you reflecting this? And it's, I completely understand where they're coming from, but that's not necessarily fair to me as a storyteller when I'm trying to tell a story about my family, you know what I'm saying? But there's also a responsibility that I have to try and make sure that I have other shows that do reflect this and make sure, but I feel like if we give more opportunities and have different versions of, of people's creations put to film, I'm, television, I think we won't have to answer Marta filling the call of I should have done more. But that's think that's the way you keep the art at its purest form.
2: Kenya, thanks so much for sharing your time with us. Thanks, Sharon. In the coming weeks, we'll explore the practical questions that will have to be solved before the cameras can roll again. Here's Homeland producer Leslie Linka-Glatter. We're like being in, we're a Petri dish, you know, on a film set. We're very close. And something like Homeland, which is a location-based show, even more so, because oftentimes you're in very crowded locations. Uh, My little, you know, two-monitor video village is stuck in the toilet, like literally in the toilet. You know, if you're shooting in a small apartment in Morocco, you go wherever you can go. The producers struggle to figure out how and where and even what kind of stories are going to be told. Our thanks to Kenya Barris and to you for listening. We hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Hollywood The Sequel was produced by Shelley Lewis and Monica Bushman with help from Darby Maloney and Jessica Pilot. Our engineer and sound designer is Eduardo Perez. Our theme music is composed by Nicholas Bertel. Hollywood, the sequel is a production of L.A.S. Studios. I'm John Horn. We'll see you next time.
1: The L.A.S. Spring Super Sweeps is happening
0: now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism.